Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. Today I have Suzanne Doolin on the program. I'm really happy to uh, have a long chat with Suzanne in podcast form. Uh, Suzanne is somebody I met years ago and we currently work together. She's actually helping me with some of my curriculum development. Uh, Suzanne, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and then also where they can find you online? Sure. Um, my name is Suzanne Doolin. I'm the founder of Get a Bigger Boat. The website is gabb.co. That's co, not c, not com. I um, I have a weird business. <laughs> I um, I primarily I teach yoga. I teach yoga to people who want to get good at yoga. But I also help people who have teaching-based businesses to create businesses where they can message what they do. Because what I found was that the very advanced people had a hard time explaining to people what they did so that they could recruit people into their businesses. Um, often they, they had more of the advanced level teaching, but they kind of struggled with where do you know where do people begin how do i talk to people who just really have no ability to comprehend what i do so um i have a background you mentioned that i'm helping you with instructional design my background is in engineering and i developed e-learning from there i learned all the tools of instructional design and i realized that as i was going into business learning marketing learning sales that everything that i was learning was kind of the same thing and that when you're an educator, then the way that you market and sell yourself is simply by teaching people. And that we know the steps to teach people, we know what steps people go through to learn. And um, that, that was really it. All you needed to do was structure your learning so that you were appropriately teaching the rote beginners just in the same way you would if they came into your classroom. But you just do it instead of Doing it in the classroom, you do it through your social media, through your marketing. That's your step one of learning. So making it sequential, breaking into pieces. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, I often use this analogy of learning to drive a car. So if you were a, um, you know, let's say you're a NASCAR driver, like you're the best driver in the world. I guarantee that the first day that you got in a car, you had to have your hands on the 10 and the two and lurch around the block. Now, maybe that happened when you were five years old because you, you know, that's like somebody taught you when you were young or whatever, but it's still the very first day that you learn to drive it looks the same, no matter what your inherent skill is or ability or you know, where you eventually will go. Um, learning is a struggle and knowledge is innate. It takes a long time to get people up to the point where it's sort of known in their body. And that long, stro slow struggle of learning also lines up with that same process when you're trying to explain to people what you do and get them into your business. So you take them step by step. And that first step is um, often a little more basic than we expect. And so when we're trying to explain to people what we do, we need to, um, we need to maybe start with simpler messages than we realize. Concise, which is not my high point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, people are so interested in what you do and you are so good at capturing people visually. You're great with video. Um, and I think that people are willing to put time into things that capture their attention and seem like they'll have value to them or appeal to them. And so I don't think that it's necessary that you have to, everything has to be so concise or laid out for people. It's just, you, you know, it becomes a little frustrating as a teacher if you, you don't have a way to sort of connect with the people that you feel like you're meant to help. And I've seen a lot of teachers go through that where they feel like, oh, nobody, nobody wants what I have to say. And, uh, you know, it's not really the student's job to figure out <laughs> what you have to teach. It's your job to explain it to them. Yes, structure, um, packaging. I'm still looking at those things within my own curriculum to try to figure out what the, the sweet spot is. Uh, before I forget, can you tell people where they can find you online? So it's gabb.co. And then online, I'm on Facebook a lot. That's really kind of where I normally hang out. Um, the, the Facebook page is Get a Bigger Boat, if you like the page. Or you can just um, join up with my friends. I've had a lot of new people signing up as friends. I've got to check because I think I might be getting close to that limit of friends. Um, but it seems like, I, even though I communicate with people from my page, it seems like where people interact with me is on my personal profile. Just under Suzanne Doolin. Mm -hmm. yeah. D-U-L-I-N. Yeah, the, um, the educational process is something I continue to figure out. Uh, Tim McCoy, who I've done podcasts with, um, you know, I started my first class. It was three days. Then I made a table class, and that was two days. And those five days comprise, like, very rudimentary basics, you know. And then Tim was like, yeah, man, you're even in the intro class, that three-day class, it's, you're completely overwhelming them. And I go, it's intro. It's like the basics. And he's like, you need to do like a six-hour class. And I'm like, okay, uh, we'll work on feet. <laughs> like six hours? But I think in retrospect, he's actually more correct. Like he understood that portion from um, working in education a bit longer that that was a sort of a better time frame due to their retention. Um, but I just kind of, you know, take a table-based industry and just blast them with this mat stuff that they're like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's just, there's no context for this. So Well, a lot of people who, so good learning is, is structured. So, you know, I'll kind of back up a little bit because we jumped into maybe the middle of a conversation about like, how do you design learning? And what is learning design is, is uh, so I mentioned that the learning is a struggle and knowledge is innate. So what that means is that when you know something, you know it in your bones. Like there's this moment when the light bulb goes off and you suddenly get it. Up to that point, it's, it's very, it's a challenge. Everything is work. So uh, using the analogy of the car or the example of a car when you learn to drive, I bet that most people who are drivers get in the car and you don't even like pay attention to it now. Like you don't even remember turning the key and you have your elbow up on the 
car, you know, <laughs> like you're kind of leaning on that and you're driving with one hand, you're just like, I don't know, getting out on the highway going 75 miles per hour, you're barely paying attention and somehow you get there. That is knowledge. Knowledge is just, you just know it. But the steps to get there are a struggle. So like uh, my daughter's 22 and it wasn't that long ago that she was learning how to drive and you know, it was, it was painful to be in the car with her, to watch her agonize with it. And yet she knew that the, all the drivers that she knew, they didn't, they didn't drive like this at the 10 and the two, you know, really focusing. She can't listen to the car radio and drive at the same time still, because it's still a struggle for her. The, that's those steps of learning that's where a teacher really needs to support a teacher because it's very frustrating for students to go through that struggle of learning. And they often are like, will I ever get to the point where I really get it? Like you work with massage therapists and I'm sure I've, I've worked with a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are massage therapists and they give me their free massage. And at first when that started happening, I thought, oh, this is the best free massage, but they were still learning and they'd just be like, you know, I just have to tell you, it is not the same as having a massage from a really experienced therapist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're learning and they just don't really quite get it yet. So when we talk about structuring learning, the way that what's really useful to people is to have the learning structured. It's the structure that's valuable. But when you don't understand how to put learning together, then you know something's missing and you're not connecting and so the tendency is just to stuff it with more and more and more stuff because it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, to make it valuable to people, I'll just need to give them more stuff. But actually only one of the steps of learning is the stuff, the actual information. And there's eight other steps of learning, which is all about how you set people up to learn and get them all ready and excited. And then you explain a structure then you teach them the stuff within that structure and then you kind of follow it up to make sure did they learn there's some assessment some assisting them like you know when you're learning massage somebody sat with you in the class and watched you try it out yeah. you know, all of those things so all of those steps are actually part of learning but when you when you're first designing a training program usually you don't know what those steps are so then it's like well I just, I probably just need to keep throwing more and more stuff in. And to the students, it's like, they don't actually really care about how much stuff they learn. They care uh, about that feeling that they're confident that what they learned, that they could apply it. Yeah. Most of what I see in my experience has to do with whether students can actually do the work and then get feedback on it. Um, and the feedback is the actual communication with the client or the other therapist they're working with. If I can get them to actually get hands on and give and receive and communicate with the partner, things ramp up very rapidly. But honestly, therapists, sometimes they're taught this thing in school sometimes where it's like, okay, I'm the therapist and you be quiet. You're going to passively receive the massage. And for educational purposes, I don't think that works very well because they need to be able to get information from this person about pressure, depth, angle, you know, that sort of thing. It's so funny that you said that because just before this, one of my clients had a, 
had a conversation with me where she was saying that she'd been forced to just up now that everything's gone online because of the coronavirus to um, to upload just recorded files of her work and didn't have any interaction with her students. And it's like, yeah, like I have no idea whether anybody's learning anything or how they're reacting because I'm just uploading this file. Um, and yeah, it's like people, you need to figure out how people are responding to what you're doing. That's like the hardest part when you're, especially when you start teaching, it's like getting people to interact with you so you can figure out whether you're helping them or not. Um, it's sort of like this weird catch 22 of teaching where when you get started, people, you might not be talking to the right people or when you start talking, like you're not really connecting and so they're not giving you any response back and you're just like, oh, you know, like I, what am I doing wrong or what am I doing right? And uh, it's, it's very, it takes a while, it takes persistence. I think um, curriculum development isn't necessarily my strong suit, but I started writing the, the intro tie workbook, the table tie workbook, phase one, phase two. Um, I kind of already had it mapped out in my head all those years ago and just kept like knocking it out. Like, and it was, you understood completely that it would never be perfect. Um, that, you know, if I had started here or if I started here five years later, I, I'm a different person and a different instructor. It would probably be different if I started at this point, but it was like, the most interesting thing was the creation of the workbooks and DVDs and then the online classes and subscription service meant that my art was outside of myself and I could look at it. And then you could go, oh, and the online stuff particularly like, oh, switch this around. Okay, now add a piece. Now you could supplement in so many ways that what started to happen was I was teaching, but I wasn't doing anything because I had done it before and was rearranging it or supplementing it and filling in holes. Like I'd made a road, but there was a pothole or something. So the capacity to be able to look at your art from the outside, you, you referenced it differently. And then you were starting to automate pieces of the educational process. So even if the student came and took an intro type class, they had a chance to work with me, feel hands on pressure. If they didn't have any supplementary materials, what do they do after class? usually is forget it all because it was just overwhelming because it was this three-day blast now i was like yeah here's a vault we got 500 hours of my classes here you can study from and they're like oh my god but if they really take their time what it does is it sort of sinks in i think a bit more deeply and then the fact that i could self-reference my own you know material uh, changed the nature of how i was delivering education yeah, it's really important. Teaching is so important. I believe that we, you know, and I'm, you know, as I'm a yoga teacher primarily, I mean, that is really it. I focused on yoga and that was, I knew that I always, it always was my path and I've studied it a long time and I've really kept my eyes just in this discipline. And I uh, wanted to be a great teacher. So you and I share Eric Schiffman as a teacher. He's a phenomenal teacher, literally the best teacher I've ever seen in my entire life. And so getting to study with a teacher of that caliber is just like, okay, how does he do what he does? 
And you know, being able, he taught me that the way that he was so comfortable being a teacher made me realize like it's very, very important to do that. It's very important to actually put together your materials and get really clear on what are your basic teachings. Like you've got to have those, the, these few things that you say so well to people and then you're constantly evolving other aspects of it. And um, it takes a lot of time. Here, I started up my business a year ago and actually I'll show you in my studio right now. So, like when you're, when you're <laughs> getting up off of the floor. Um, so like over here, you can see like all of my journals here from just all my years of practicing and teaching and all my ideas. And they have all of these pieces that I, some of these things I put together 15 years ago. And now I'm trying to really spell them out. It, it takes a long time to figure out what you have to say and then figure out how to say it clearly so you can communicate to people. And I think it's so important. And I, that's why I'm like, you have to make a business at it because you can't, it's not something like how long has it taken you? When did you start putting all your stuff together? 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the funny and thing is, still, like, and you're still working on it. Oh yeah. No, that's the thing that's a hard, I, I think that's very hard for students to understand. Like um, students start to ask me because of the subscription service, they're like, well, you know, I want passive income. And I'm like, Oh boy, here's <laughs> so once they learn the word passive income, it's all over. Uh, what's weird to me is like I started with intro tie people freaked out it was a 54 page workbook and they're like oh my god you're giving this away for free and I go this is only like five percent of what I'm going to be teaching if that but they didn't know that because I had written it but then I, I kept making more materials and they're just like oh my god what do you like I don't understand like it keeps changing and I'm like yeah like I'm not even, I finished, you know, 700 pages of sequence manuals and nine DVDs. And basically it was like, okay, that'll get us started. It was like, now what? And then it was like, well, video in some form, but my teaching and evolution of my thought changed. And then you look at it and it's like, it would be like teaching, uh, if we'd reference it towards yoga teachers, you know, you can teach triangle pose. And when you teach beginners triangle pose, you're probably going through some basics of alignment. But if you wanted to, could you put people in triangle pose and go, focus on your feet? Oh, yeah. Lift your big toe. I once went to a workshop with one of the senior Iyengar teachers who's since been uh, sort of deposed. Um, so I won't give them any publicity, but it was two <laughs> hours straight of just warrior two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at warrior two now. <laughs> Minutia. And that is the thing. Like I think teaching what I teach in body work, if you think of it as time massage, time massage is like yoga cubed yes. because you're not just dealing with the alignment of one person. You're dealing with the alignment and how one person's body fits together with another person's body. Like it's inordinately complex. Like when I go over to like adjust students, they're like, well, like who's he working with? Like, is he working with the giver or the receiver? And I'm like, receiver, hang out. 
<laughs> give her move your foot here and they're like oh but it's like so whew, man it's just like visually like i would look at stuff sometimes and i'd go what's going on i can't figure it out something's not right but i can't figure out what it is just like doing the session you learn it by doing like if people want to get into teaching i'm like just start teaching and they're like well, wow so <laughs> you know one of the things um I'll, i'm gonna maybe give a little bit of structure to this conversation around how what you have to teach is so voluminous and when you're trying to explain like this is the struggle that people have when they're teaching is they have in their mind all the things you know all the things that are in their mind and it's like but what do you know you can't say it all everything that's in your head to a student so what do they need to know in order to get started and the whole goal is to get them to the point where they're comfortable enough screwing it up like i just recently gave a workshop on getting started using zoom and really sort of the big message was like you know, fuck it up until, you know, like, until you just start, you know, like, get out, get out there and start fucking it up. And like, after a little while, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, like, I gave them enough to get, get comfortable getting started, but that was really it. And honestly, when I look back at it, there was so many things more that I could have said that would have been useful. But the big thing was, I would just watch people over the course of this training, their eyes would just sort of shift from this agitation to like oh yeah it's okay i can get out there and try it and then a bunch of people messaged me afterward and said yeah you know i tried it and it was so fun and it just relieved their anxiety enough to get out there and try it and that's that's the goal is just to get them comfortable enough to get out there and start playing around with it themselves but um this this thing about the structure is that so the steps of learning are um there's different steps of learning depending on what you're doing but for a physical scale like Thai massage the first step is where somebody pay attention to you the second step is for them to mimic you the third step is for them to try it on their own and then they'll be really terrible at first and then over time they become more skillful where they can you know you can demo and they can just go right along with you and then they can you try it on their own and at first they're terrible and they don't know what they're doing and then over time they get more skillful then they start to put it together with more structure. They have a more structured understanding of what they're doing instead of just sort of mimicking what they've been shown. And then eventually you're going up to a level of like creativity, innovation. But those last couple of rungs of the ladder are very involved. So those first few rungs, you can take people up them fairly quickly with good structured training. But those last areas are where people really hang out. I think it takes like two years for anybody to really learn something new and get it to like click in their body. Yep. And um, I don't think there's like a, a shortcut around it. Um, but one thing I think it's important for people to know is that the length of time that it takes you to learn something isn't a measure of how well you learned it. So time isn't really, sometimes people take a long time to learn. Um, my, you know, going back to my daughter, She's a terrible driver, <laughs> but she is a very good reader. And she was one of the slowest kids to learn to read in her class. She was one of the last ones. We weren't ever worried about her. We weren't like, she has some kind of learning disabled, you know, thing or something, but she was just very, very slow. 
And then that light bulb went on, she started reading, and two years later, she was reading, seriously, as a third grader, the unabridged Sherlock Holmes, which is like a tough read even as an adult. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a tough read. She was, she was reading, like, basically at a college level by third grade. So, like, the time that it takes you to learn is not a measure. Sometimes it takes people who are really good at put something together, it'll take them a long time because they're so attentive to it and they're really trying to understand it. And the people who rush through it, you know, they'll never really come to that really clear understanding. So anyway, sometimes it does take people a long time to learn, but I think about two years of just grunting your way through the, the discomfort of it all before you finally receive this feeling of, I got it, <laughs> you know, like I get what's going on here. I just keep giving the students more and I continue to supplement. Uh, one of the most valuable pieces was my tenacity with work where the students have questions and I answer. I was literally shaving last night and a student, uh, Chris, uh, messaged me on Instagram and she had a question about certification. And I said, hey, are you free? And she's like, oh, I don't want to be on camera, you know, like I, you know, I'm just like, listen, if you're willing to have the conversation with me, she's like, okay, I'll turn off my video. We talked about certification for two hours. And that's just one topic because basically I have to lay out what the issue is legally with like intellectual property in the United States to explain from a regulatory standpoint, like how certification functions because certification and licensure are two different things. Now that conversation, I swear to you was 15 minutes. I don't know how it wound up being two hours, <laughs> but that's the sort of information that I keep giving the students in some sort of recorded form, but they're not gonna pick it up the first time. Like, I don't even know how I got to the point where I had this big exhaustive, like, you know, read the anatomy of Hatha yoga page <laughs> by page, you know, like, what do you mean you don't know this? And it's like, Robert, you've spent like, the last you know 20 years like digging and geeking out in this stuff it's not normal <laughs> like people don't mash on each other and mobile like my work looks like you know some sort of like therapeutic brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, compared to what most people think of as massage so teaching students to do that almost forced me because it takes two years it almost forced me to develop the materials and the subscription service as a supplement because they can't necessarily come get a session with me when they live in Tennessee. I think when you are teaching physical skills, there's always that issue of, um, even though like we know those steps of learning and things like that, like there's a little bit of magic to it. And everybody has a different approach into physicality. Um, recently I've been learning how to play pinball. That's been my obsession. <laughs> um, we have a, pinball museum that opened up locally and you can just play unlimited plays on any machine. There's like 60 machines there and every single one of them is totally different. Like it's really amazing to see the variety of, you know, all the different game designs and stuff. So, you know, when I play in the tournaments to watch how differently people play pinball, it's all, we're all playing the same game and some of us, love the exact same machines and some people are very analytical with it and other people are like 
they just, they're kind of like me. I just kind of, I don't know how I do it. <laughs> I just sort of do it. And then there's some people who come in and they just like bang on the machines. They're really physical with it. It's almost like the sport or something where they're just banging on things. And, um, you know, we're all playing the same game. And so everybody has their own way of being physical. And I think that they can watch what you're doing, but still they have to make it work within their own body. And so I do think that when you teach somebody something physical, a lot of it is about giving people somehow the persistence to figure out and sort of the permission that it might not look the way you do it, but you know, here's what you're trying to get to. Interactive online classes is where I'm going. I know this is what's happening. I know it's multi-camera live stream. I don't think my industry is even particularly ready for it. I don't think other educators are gonna know what to do once I have the capacity to be able to do that effortlessly because we're just gonna be streaming live and saying, grab a partner, work with us, you know, give and receive for two hours. I, I don't think, I think students in my industry specifically, and I have to take advantage of this, I don't think they believe in online education. And I think they're about to get uh, a schooling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you can teach physical things online. I've seen this debate in the yoga world um, lots of times. Right now, because of coronavirus, everybody's having to do things online. So all of these online teacher training programs are out there. And then there's the conversations have ramped up about, is it legit? Could you really learn online? And yet I've talked with people who have developed online pr training programs and they've told me there's certain pieces of it that they can teach better online, like anatomy, because you can go back and you can review it in a way that you can. And also, you know, as, as you know, because you've actually created, some of your pieces are just you teaching, but some of it is structured. Yeah. that really when you can spend some time structuring your material and putting it, you know, really clear, like there's a way you can record every single piece that you meant to record and really think it through when it's structured. Yeah. And when you're in front of a class, no matter how much you have that material prepared, you'll always leave something off that you intended to say. And so when it's recorded, you can make sure it's totally complete and it really serves people. I think the hardest part is communicating touch and because you work with touch. I, you, they're working on that actually with the haptic stuff. That's what you need to go and work with the people who are developing the haptics. Um, I worked with a company that they, um, we developed some haptic stuff. Do you know what like haptic where it's like responsive technology? So one of the things that we developed was um, dentists. They learn how to take a, give a shot. You ever had that shot? <laughs> you ever thought about how they learn to give that shot? <laughs> Did you ever want to be the person they're learning on? <laughs> no. <laughs> so what we did, we developed um, a thing that allows them to, to practice giving that horrible, awful shot with that huge needle in your mouth and to feel what it was like to guide in the, the needle without doing it on a live person. So somewhere you're in there, you know, you need to be like a pioneer working with Well, like, I mean, uh, yeah, well, I have no 
so I'm only so tech friendly and I'm, I'm getting better at it as I continue and grow and develop and that'll continue to change. I don't have any plans to like slow down what I'm doing. If anything, it'll ramp up. I really don't know what the business looks like, say in 10 years, because I know what I've created in the 10 I've been teaching now. I don't know what it looks like in another 10. Like I, I can't even chart the progress of technology and the amount of video we put out now is mind numbing. Like it's, it's the students keep going. Like when we started, we had 50 hours in the vault. Now it's over 500. When new people come in now, they're like, well, what do I watch? And I'm like, I don't know, pick what you want. Like it's broken down into sections. You can watch whatever, in whatever order. I don't suspect this is going to get smaller. If anything, it's going to ramp up. You know, it's like, I don't know. My business is really weird for the massage community. Um, doing a close-on form of work, I can film and photo document everything. And I, once I figured out that this was the saving grace, like the whole business changed. Because this was how I taught and this was how I reached a global audience. It was not by actually delivering a session. Well, you know, when you don't really fit in a box, then the fact that now we can find people all over the world that we resonate with is so wonderful. And I think that, you know, we're similar in that way that we, we maybe only have a few people <laughs> who really sort of get what we do, but those people are all over the world and somehow we're able to reach those people now through online and eventually those people will want to come and study with you in person because ultimately there's something that you can only receive through, you know, physical interaction with someone being in their presence. But I think that right now there's a lot that we can do through video. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you've done and it's inspiring. I think it's, you found a comfort with, who you are. It's almost like, you know, Prince was kind of like this. Like, it's a good, you know. <laughs> I, had another, I had another friend talk about Prince recently, and we were having this, like, thing about Prince, and it's like, he's so feminine, but why is he sexy? And, you know, it's like, confidence. Because he's gay. Confidence. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, but you know, he was so voluminous in his output and he was just constrained by the music industry and this idea that you would release one album a year, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, I think you're kind of like that where you just said, well, I don't, uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just stop. I don't want to be limited. And so yeah. you own your platform, you own your business, you can take it wherever you want to. Yeah. That's really what people need. Like, I've, I think that this is what I'm trying to get people to is to be like you, where they're just like, I don't want to go through someone else to do my thing because I want the doors blown off of my creativity. Yeah. The, the students, I had a conversation with uh, Chris last night and I was asking her about this because there's, there's multiple things going on. So like I'm talking to you and you help me with instructional design. I'm talking to Chris and she's, she was a little nervous because she feels called out, she said. And I said, oh, she's like, I always feel like I get called to the principal's office. And I'm like, listen, you're, you're looking at me like I'm the teacher and you're the student. It's like, we're just colleagues. And I'm just trying to help you with a little bit of 
whatever. Like, I don't really, I mean, yeah, okay, I'm the teacher, whatever. But it's like, I don't, you're not my, my underling. <laughs> and when I look at the way that people deal with education information, you know, she looks at it like she was called into the principal's office. And I'm going, no, I'm going to have the conversation with you, but I'm going to use that recording to teach all of the other students because they're going to have the same question again and again and again. 30 minutes of it might just have been me going through my history and explaining to them, why did I have to file a trademark? What does a trademark mean? What is it, you know, like, the thing is, Chris wants a level, like I'm doing target market research. She really, for some reason, she is deeply connected with my message. She has a different practice. She lives in a different state. And it's like, she wants a certain degree, not only of financial stability, but of creativity and freedom. What I have to do as a brand is I have to build a brand that encompasses that freedom so much so that I give her structure so that she can build, but I don't hem her in and limit her creativity. So like- This is like, I'm so on this because- This is exactly what I believe as spiritual teachers we, we, we should be doing. Midwifing people into their own realization of themselves. And yet that's not how we're taught. That's not how most people are being taught. So if you are going to be the kind of teacher who develops a teaching structure that somehow lets people get to this light bulb moment that is, you know, sort of about them finding their own way, then that's a, you know, that's just, God, it just takes, it just takes a while to figure out how do I talk to people so that they hear themselves? How do I structure my teaching to give them the confidence to do their own thing show them like, well, here's how I do it. And you can practice and you can, you can study my thing for a while, but really like go out and do your thing. Be you, be you. Don't be me. (laughs) Don't be a mini me. Find a way to do that. And um, I'm, I've been very interested in that. I mean, lots of, and beyond just you know, what do I say to help people with it? But like, how do I talk with people? How do I communicate with people to help them to hear themselves to, to be this like sounding board for them? Trying to develop a brand that allows the student to express their own individual creativity. Like she was interested in using rock tape. And I think rock tape might be a certified thing. I'm not exactly sure. And she was kind of like, well, we know we lost the trademark. Oh, you mean there's like a specific certification program? I I think so. Don't quote me on that, but I think there might be. So basically she's like, well, you know, I kind of want to do what you do, but I use rock tape. And I go, okay, so can you do a reboot? We know we lost the name for this. Can you do a two-hour mat-based reboot and include rock tape? Like, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, can you do can you do this two hour plus long mat based reboot and then use like cupping I'm like sure I don't yeah that doesn't bother me but I don't teach rock tape or cupping because I'm, I'm not a particular expert on those things sure. like you can supplement and add stuff the only reason I have a contract to be able to control the brand and again we lost this trademark name 
is to be able to maintain enough quality control to be able to put this out and have therapists understand what it is so I can keep scaling it out. The goal is to create enough of a slide so that it's easier for the student to just get certified and work with me because I'm providing support, instructional materials in various ways so that they don't want to just go do it all themselves. They're like, that's too much work. Why would I want to create my own community bodywork event when I can just get certified very inexpensively and work with Robert and hold a time massage jam? You're trying to make it easier for them to come along than to like right. love the system. So, like this, so this when you're talking about this ability to be creative within some kind of framework, yeah. it's exactly it. You know, that top tier of learning is to be able to be creative. If you were learning dance, the goal is not to, you know, imitate another dancer, but to get to the point where you can innovate your own dance, but still recognizably ballet or modern dance or tap or jazz or whatever, you know, hip hop. Like there are certain movements that show, uh, you know, you're in a genre, but still like, you know, MC Hammer, like, you know, he didn't move like anyone else, you know, like he just, you, that's what you want. You want somebody who, you want to get people to the point where they're like, ooh, how could I make rock tape happen? And then they could actually go on and carry on your teaching and be like, well, I do like what Roberts does, but then like, I'm all about the rock tape. And so eventually, hopefully that person actually gets to a point where they're like, you were the springboard and the starting point, and mm -hmm. then they just went someplace totally that you don't even recognize. Like that's really as a teacher where we want people to get to as like, and I get so sick of all these systems that are trying to sort of control people and say, you have to, you know, we want to somehow limit what you want to do. It's like, no, just go, go. Like, I want to see you grow and be you and do this, take what I do and expand with it. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think the industry fully recognizes what I've done yet. I feel like it's a legacy thing. Like they'll, they'll catch on, you know, five years from now. After something, you know, blows up in a good way, then they'll go, oh, yeah, that guy that annoyed us for 10 years, look at what he did, you know. But yeah, it's well, like. And maybe there might be a moment like this in time where suddenly, suddenly it's needed. And everybody goes, wait, that guy's been, you know, like just there's all been all these people who have been innovating some things for a while. And then this moment came in time where suddenly things were needed. Yeah. And so maybe there will just be this moment in time where as an industry, things start to collapse and people yeah. start to look at what you do and say, you know, people go like, there's this guy over here and he's been doing this thing for 10 years and he's been trying to get people to notice him and and everybody will come over and be like, oh, so, and you'll be so ready for that moment because you'll have yeah, hours and hours and hours mass, of stuff. Mass market saturation is a different beast. Um, I, I talk about the fish and the Grateful Dead regularly. Um, I love both bands. Um, never saw the Grateful Dead live, but I've listened to tons of uh, recordings of them over the years. My dad was, uh, he was yeah. a deadhead. So. And my, uh, my practice, I almost, without me thinking about it, the way that I looked at distribution was so much more like Fish and the Grateful Dead than it was studio albums. Both bands have released studio albums and a couple of them 
historically may stand up as like their better studio albums of the 30 they've released or whatever. But what they're known for is their live recordings and the live recordings embrace a level of improvisation, which is where I really excel even as a body worker. I know it's hard for the students to understand like the parameters of what I just said, but like eventually I'll get to the point where I just turn on the camera and have people come in for hour sessions that I give away for free. And I just go, what are you having problems with? Boom. And they're going to be like, how that like, well, cool. You did that. But how did you know that? And I'm like, because I've been doing it for 10 years. Like I've never heard the, the Grateful Dead play a wrong note. I've never heard fish play it wrong. So to speak, it changes certainly, but like good musicians, like just get into a rhythm after a while. Like, yeah, well, and it's beautiful to hear it. You know, I, I went to college in New Orleans and saw live music all the time. And all a lot of those, you know, everybody was sort of jamming together, whatever they were doing. And you kind of see these moments where they sort of flag off and then suddenly they get into a groove and it's a process, they understand it. I, you know, to learn how to play like that, to teach how to, you know, do jamming, <laughs> how Improvise. to do that. that's yeah. our improv improvisational style. It's, it does, it does mean that you have to have a certain confidence in yourself. Um, I once uh, recently, Ellis Marsalis passed away, and um, I saw him. He's the great. He's Branford Marsalis and Winford Marsalis's father. I saw him in concert. Um, in New Orleans, and uh, there were two other younger, less experienced musicians with him. And they were really hot dogging, you know, the whole time they were really showing off. And he was just on the piano, Alice Marsalis, just kind of doing his little thing. And he never, ever took off, you know, he never, you know, sort of took center stage, even though we were all there really to see him. And at, and at some point, about three quarters of the way through, I thought, that's sly old dog he's doing all the work <laughs> and he's letting them get all the credit. What a, what a genius gifted man. And I think it's just part of how you teach that is by letting people experience the confidence that they're maybe better than they are, <laughs> you know, like while they're learning, give them the experience of feeling what it's like to be good and you know, like, and just be sit in the back and be like, yeah, you know, like, I don't have to show you up because I already know. You're like that Zen master, you know, just kind of like, <laughs> was it uh, uh, in uh, of, Raiders of the Lost Ark where he goes, the karate guy goes in and he does all the flips and then he just pulls out his gun and he's like, boom, you know? <laughs> I think, I was thinking about this, um, Fish and the Grateful Dead as an improvisational uh, form, an art form in music, they'll sometimes get flack because like a critic would go to a show, see a show that maybe wasn't their best, right? Like a horrible review in Rolling Stone about hippie noodles, you know, whatever, and drugs. And it's like, what I find most interesting is dedicated fans would say, oh yeah, no, I just wasn't like, it wasn't a great show. I mean, it was good. It was okay. Like, I mean, they played, but it wasn't a great show. And the thing is, the fans don't go, well, these bands now suck. <laughs> right. They, no, they had an off night. And they keep going. And here's the thing. 
they appreciate in a weird way the off nights because the off nights are authenticity. The off nights are like, these people are real. The off nights are connecting with them as people. And then when they finally peak, it's so rapturous. They're basically just following until they find that again. (laughs) Yeah. And that's exactly when I, one of the things that Eric, having Eric as a mentor gave me was, you know, watching him, he, when you go and you see him teach like one or two times, it's like, damn, he's perfect. You know, and he does these things as a teacher. You're like, how did he do that? He cast a spell on the whole room. But then when I would watch him over and over and over again, because I saw him teach so many times and I was really trying to understand, it's like, actually he, he would spend quite a bit of time sort of, you know, in process and showing people himself in process, which I really loved. And sometimes I would watch him working on this new material and I, it's like he had all this stuff that would always connect. So he always knew that he could create connection. But then there would be these things that he could see, like it wasn't quite working. And he'd just keep on, he's like, okay. And sometimes for years, he'd be like, okay, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying to connect with you. And I loved it. And I, more and more as a teacher, I'm showing myself. And, you know, I actually had a conversation about this with a group of students where they were like, um, well, you're not, you're, you haven't sorted this all out. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm a teacher's teacher. You need to see me trying it out. But when you're teaching rote beginners, you need to just be like super clear. You know, step one, step two, step three, it's the same message every time. And you want to create that little container for them. But when you're working with people where you want to take them up to the level of creativity, you need to show them this is what it's like to be creative. Sometimes you fall on your face and sometimes you reach the sky and you have to, you have a a skill level that you're working with. And I have watched teachers sort of almost fall off the map for a while. And then like suddenly they come back and it's like, where, you know, whoa, (laughs) you know, that fallow period is so important to creativity. And we don't talk about that. When it comes to the video production, one of the things I've noticed over time is the students are nervous about making video because they're afraid of being judged. And then I try to explain to them that the most interesting things in my videos are not what I get right. It's what I flub, misspeak, laugh. You know, I'm using a tennis ball and drop it and have to chase it around the room those little pieces in the video, I think it was what the audience connects with the most because it humanizes the brand. So I'm going to jump in and let people know that I have a a one hour workshop recorded that people can watch on my website called Get Started Making Helpful Videos, where I give you, you know, enough to sort of get comfortable, like as we've talked about, sort of enough to get comfortable to go out and sort of fall in your face. And I have a background in video production. And that is actually what people love about video. I mean, what's your favorite part of Saturday Night Live? And then I swear it's watching people start cracking themselves up. That is, those are the best skits, the ones where they're so funny and they're having such a good time that they can't control their laughter. And, you know, it's like they're kind of screwing it up because they're not staying in character, but when you see that happening, that's such a moment of spontaneous joy. Um, you know, people just, they, it's hard to be human though. Like it's hard to, when you get started, 
you, you, you know, you can be like that because you have so much experience on camera. But when you get started, just screwing up and screwing up isn't very interesting to watch. <laughs> Watching somebody who is comfortable skillfully dealing with something that's going wrong is interesting. Yeah. Watching yeah. somebody just fall on their face is not so interesting. Unless American Funniest Home Videos, that's cool. A lot of practice and then just repeating it again and again and again. I look at video production differently than I did when I started. I was not comfortable on camera when I started. If you don't believe me, you can go back to my YouTube channel, watch the first videos like I was learning. <laughs> um, but through practice and repetition, it got easier. And again, the stuff that stood out was where it was different. Like uh, Fish, for instance, and I've seen them live many, many times over the years. Um, they'll have a song and it'll have like composed sections. So what you do as a fan, when you heard hundreds of versions of the song, is you look for the tightness and the succinctness and the clarity of this composed section. But what you're waiting for is the jumping off point into improvisation. Now to a new listener, they're like, I don't understand. Like this song was like 30 minutes long. What the hell, what was this? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, there's a composed section and then there's, you know, improvisation. Yeah, and then but they... The improvisation is what the, the long-term, they're like, dude, did you hear that? Did you hear <laughs> what happened? It like, wow, it was, you know, amazing or whatever. That stuff is what you wouldn't know. But here's what happens. When you take a song like David Bowie and you compare version after version after version after show after show, that's where people think you're crazy. You're at a party being like, well, the, the 10th time I saw a fish and they're like, dude, you got to go away. Like, I can't, I can't <laughs> deal with this. Because, it's funny because I haven't been in New Orleans. Um, there were a few bands that I saw like that, you know, uh, the Neville brothers, they, they would go all night long. They didn't start until midnight and generally wouldn't wrap up until about six in the morning at uh, Tupatino's. Mm -hmm. um the other you know locations they were they're sometimes constrained on time but the tipitinas they could just go all night long and they would yeah and you know like there would be these moments within the performance where it was a completely spiritual experience and that place to create the structure to allow those moments to happen like, and that's what Eric does as a teacher. You know, he starts out and it's like, okay, here's, here's the beginning. It's always the same. This is how we get going. And then somehow there's this moment where it just, it's like, what happened? How did that happen? I don't, I don't know because I was so into it. And that is what, you know, he teaches you how to do, teaching people like, here's a structure, a framework to work with. And then here's a place to go. But to do that within body work, you know, like I think that's something that you almost have to explain to people that that's possible because yeah. you're no, learning these techniques and how it's so personal. It's all one on one work. So, like in a music, you know, of course, everybody can hear what's happening. And then if you're a musician, 
you come like, oh, how do I get in on that? But I don't understand how else you could explain to people how to be improvisational without the video, because otherwise they still can't experience the touch experience of that. Yeah. Well, in, in my case, I have to give, you know, musicians who are used to woodwinds, like a guitar. Like it's slight, a slightly different instrument, a slightly different platform. And the thing is, you know, building an album, and the album's going to be 45 minutes, is different than like, oh yeah, we're fish. What, what happens? Oh, we started at midnight at Big Cypress and we're going to play till sunrise. And they're like, what's the set list? And I'm like, oh no, we'll make it up. <laughs> right. like, what like oh but you know yeah. like uh, new orleans is great great example of this because everyone in new orleans has the same songs it's crazy in new orleans they all play the exact same songs and all the musicians all rotate around through different bands mm -hmm. so there's all these professional working musicians and you know, you can show up for someone's band and then there's one, you know, it's like, oh, who's that? That guy's sitting in tonight because who knows? Their other guy was hung over. And, you know, and so, no. <laughs> all of a sudden, but it's like they all know the same songs so they can all play together yeah. because the whole city has the same uh, potential. So I do think it's, a bit, you know, when you look at improvisation, it's like, what's the core material? And part of the problem is that they don't even know the notes, you know, like you've got to get people to where yes. maybe they have like a certain amount of it, like a really small set, but you've got to get people up to all the, 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 students the fundamentals before they can start to really jam. Because growing up in Baton Rouge, it was an hour from New Orleans. I'm like, listen, I'm going to teach you chords and scales and you got to practice, but long-term you have to destroy it and play jazz. And the heart of jazz is improvisation. I can't teach it to you because it's like teaching feeling. It's like, how do you teach feeling? Like it just, it changes. Like there's so many uh, variables, even making reference to improvisation within massage and body work. I just think it's sort of like this little, it's like being a, a baker who makes cakes. They're like, this isn't art. You'd bake cakes. And you're like, oh, well, if you take the fondant and, and they're like, oh my God, <laughs> then it becomes like cake wars, right? Like who could have yeah. imagined, correct? Because other people, it's just cake, whatever, bake a cake. And I'm like, yeah, it's just a massage, do a massage. Like, no, this is art if done well. And the thing is, one of the things I've talked about um, in the last 30 or so years, we have celebrity chefs. We had Tony Bourdain, we had... Uh, Steingarten, is that her name? Ina Garten, I think is her name. Ina Garten. Yeah, yeah. It's like you've got celebrity chefs. You know, we got Emeril Lagasse, you know, things like that. Where are the celebrity massage therapists? And the whole audience, my, my, my audience of therapists is like, oh, and I go, <laughs> exactly. Because this, this doesn't exist yet. There is no reality TV show with massage therapists. Not yet. <laughs> there, are, there are with tattoo artists, hairdressers. And how much they open that world up to, you know, when you saw, like for me, I grew up, you know, at the time when it was kind of only the sailors and the truck drivers who would have tattoos. And then when they started putting those shows on TV and it's like, you know, I would really consider 
you yep. know, having Kat Von D give me a, massage, a tattoo, like, yep. because that's not just something crude. It, it is, it is art. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think when you start to see what people are doing, then that's when you can, you know, see it. But, you, you know, body work is an art. And it's, it's, I've had a lot of very skillful body workers work on me over the years. And I've come to really value the, somebody who has that experience, who's put that time in. I don't know how they really learn it, though, because there's so little financial reward back on it. And it's, it's sort of a scraping. Well, I, I, I don't think that is the case. I think they can, but they have to be real crafty about the business part. It's kind of like, I'm trying to think of another, you know, comparable art form, but it is lucrative if you're not just in the trenches, just seeing clients and not charging enough but building to the point where you were actually, you know, really lucrative is like a very different place than what I see most therapists being in. Yeah, I think that, um, well, yoga teachers, I mean, you're a yoga teacher. How many yoga teachers are really does make it bank teaching yoga? You know, it's, it's hilarious because I, yeah. there's just like, these people will say like simultaneously, these other people are in it only for the money and I can't make any money. <laughs> There's no possible way to make money as a yoga teacher. So it's like, well, is it just something that's so lucrative that people just get it into it just to cash out? Or is it something that there's the market's so oversaturated, there's no way to make money at it. Like they don't even hear the contradiction and it's that they want to put off on everybody else something they can't figure out, which is how do they, you know, make money at it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's tough to put together a small business it's tough when there's not, people are looking for models, they're looking for someone to business. copy. I don't know many body workers who are successful. Business. Who are able to, you know, but you've got to put together training programs, you've got yep. to, there, it's a lot. It's very involved to, to do the business. The people I know yeah. who are good at it, sometimes they're just really piecing it together. Business. I tell the therapist repeatedly, I'm like, listen, you can, you can study the art form forever and you can be the Picasso of body work and you'll still be broke until you work on the business. The business is what makes the separation. And the business allows them to manifest all the stuff they really wanted to do to begin with. But most massage therapists have an aversion to business. They don't like business. Business means sales and marketing and being smarmy and all these things, all these associations they've made. Whereas I look at it and say, okay, if you're a good musician, do you have to be good at business? Yes, absolutely. A good musician has lawyers to read contracts to make sure they're not getting screwed by the recording company. I, that whole piece of it is just fascinating how the interaction between, you know, legally and art, like, I just think it's so like, for example, like Banksy and what he did with like shredding that, that campus, you know, it was just such a brilliant moment where he made this incredible commentary about value. And, you know, it was just, it's like, okay, 
all of the constraints of all of this, they definitely affect art, they affect your work. I think that it's, business is really important and it's until you start to push, push, push to learn it, you'll always be limited. I had a, a local chain. Uh, this is a large company, by the way. Uh, they contacted me because they wanted time massage training, you know, and I kind of went back and forth with, it sounded like a secretary through email to figure out what they wanted. And there was this kind of haggling thing going on. And, you know, to, for me to figure out what was it they wanted in training and what they wanted was the moon. Like they wanted a video and a demo and a class and a this and a this and a this. And they wanted me to come in and train their trainers in two days. <laughs> and I went, do you really know what time massage is? And they're like, yes, we are very aware of what time massage is. And I went, Ooh, I don't think they do. Um, and I said, okay, listen, it's going to be five grand. And they said, we'll give you 2,500. And I said, no, you'll give me five grand. If I would have known this is haggling, okay, this is, it's going to be 10 grand. Like you're asking me to spend, I know how much time and energy this is going to take and I'm going to have to deal with you. This is not a used car sale. Right. Like I'm not taught. And this you know, is your, their business and you're teaching them a skill that's going to make them money and it's part of their business. Well, it's okay. They, they hired someone else who took their fee and time massage is not on their menu of services because it didn't work, which I knew it wouldn't, but hey, whatever works. Like you came to me, bro. Like I work out of my garage, you're a big company. You contacted me because you found me because my shit works and I've built the business. Like, you know, how do you deal with the business side? That's the thing, the therapists sometimes, they don't understand that when it comes to business, I have to fight other schools and facilities and you know, on levels that they don't have to deal with. The therapists are often just frustrated because the facility owner, they take 60%. And I'm like, yeah, so work for yourself. Aw, that's a lot of work. And I'm like, you want to be yes. free, you have to work Which is for why yourself. they take 60%. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be free, you have to work for yourself. There's, there's no other way. And I have been starting up a business for the, you know, gosh, you know, five, six years now, I'm finally in my own space for this past year. This year as I mean, you know, I'm, I'm piecing it together this year. Like that's where I'm at, but I, I, I took the leap and now I'm here and I, I'll, I've literally had people sit there and work with me and say like, maybe you should go and pick up some corporate work. And I'm just like, I am never going back. <laughs> not make me help me figure out how to make it work this month because I cannot be that person again and there's if you uh, want to be free you have to work for yourself and so you just have to but that doesn't mean that I know that I'm not staying here forever like I have a plan for how I get through this year and where that sets me up and, you know, it's, it takes a lot of doing. And I think, especially as a woman, it takes a lot more. Like, I think for women, um, sometimes where the ability to have our own business is, it, it, there's a lot of psychological things to go through. 
to get there. And I, it's like, okay, I'm just believing myself and I'm going to keep going, keep going, keep going. But it's really, really important. It is a learnable skill and it's, it's an important skill. And if you're, if the thing is like, oh, I'm, I don't think I can do this because you know, I'm scared of it. Like you have to go in that direction. Like that's where the learning is. Like go for that thing that scares you because if the other choice is to be trapped, like you, you can't, you can't, like if, if you have something important to do, you can't do it and be trapped and there's nobody else who can give it to you. I'm sorry. There isn't. Right. Everybody's looking for that, that box they can fit into where, Oh, you know, like I'm so happy here and it doesn't exist. Like you have to make your own box. Yeah. I, Always, always, I look at um, <clears throat> artists like Picasso, and Picasso was known for his blue period, but people who really study Picasso see the sort of changes in his work over the years. <laughs> year look, after year after year. <laughs> and the thing is, it's like, and how did Picasso become that? Well, one, he probably just made a painting a day, every day for 30 years, or however, you know, I mean, I don't know his entire artistic process, but he just kept working at it. And at some point he had to get in touch with donors, sponsors, you know, uh, people who were paying for his art. Yeah. You know, it deals with a certain amount of like getting it out there. Um, to this day, what I find the most confusing is people generally, not just massage therapists, I feel like people feel like there are less options. And in an age of like global information distribution, I'm the most confused. Like people can make stuff and sell it on Etsy. Like, they're like, oh, it's hard. And I'm like, is it any harder than what people did in 1920? So like, that, that thing about those artists that we know having figured out those business aspects in order to be known um, is, you know, it's always something people struggle against. You know, like Jeff Koons is... You know, like sometimes people are like, oh, he's overly commercial. It's like, yeah, but he's fun and cool. And, you know, like people, people know who he is and they appreciate what he does because he is, he's made himself known to people and he fought for that. And um, there's always a commercial aspect to, to doing things. When I started to be able to talk with people about finances, that's when I started to really see, be able to like really talk with them how do you build like a creative lifestyle? You know, it is brick by brick and it takes money, it takes time. So if you're not willing to put money and time in and you're not willing to figure this stuff out to go and talk to a lawyer to go and you know, when you don't have any money, well, how do you do that? Like, believe it or not, there are lawyers who wanna help you. And there are small business places. When I moved here to Chattanooga, I got, became very, very involved with the small business networks here. I live next door to a business incubator and that is not, you know, that is not an accident. I live next door to an incubator because, you know, I was fascinated by the fact that there were people here who wanted to help me. And I go in all the time and sometimes I'm just like, tell me something I don't know, what do you do? And they'll teach me stuff and they love to help me and they don't charge me a ton of money. And there's stuff like this everywhere. 
there's somebody out there whose heart is breaking, looking for you to help you like go make their life happy, go get their free legal advice, go get their free accounting advice and figure the, figure out the fundamentals of your life, figure out what does the space look like? What does the money look like? You know, how do you, what do you do when you wake up every day? What does that life look like? And then aim for that, like as much of that as possible. It is, you cannot build a life without really being specific. And the way you do it is by creating that business that looks like you're, you know, it's almost like you're making a painting when you're with business. It's, it's a creative process. And people who want the cookie cutter franchise, that's great. You, you go out and buy a massage and bead franchise. It's a guaranteed money maker. But if that's, if you want to be a rock star in the massage therapy world, if you want to do something that no one else is doing, the only way to do it is to build a business that looks like no one else's business. Uh, I resemble that. They're <laughs> 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 like, oh, but how did you like, you know, like how do you get comfortable with people like judging you? I'm like, they're fucking losers. Who gives a shit? Like, right? Nobody, nobody on the field is booing. It's people in the stands, bro. Like funny because I've been doing a lot of communication with my email list lately, and every single day I open up my email and somebody's unsubscribed. But yeah. then also when I'm in touch with the people who are digging me, they're like, Yeah, I've been getting your emails. <laughs> and you know like they're you can feel like they feel like i'm personally talking to them yeah. and so it's like so what there's people that have to subscribe they they were never they weren't i've got i've got friends. You're doing me the favor. <laughs> yeah, i've got friends who were paying to be in my subscription coronavirus sits and they unsubscribe and they're like oh i'm sorry i'm like you have no income <laughs> like it's cool just if you need it come back later like you let go of you know does uh does do the guys and fish get angry if their family members are like no i don't want to hear prince caspian again they're like so like <laughs> it's, it's like it's their art not them you know it's like you continue to give people value you continue to communicate with them you continue to tweak it the reason i did the recording last night with chris is i'm able to get more valuable information by interacting with students and finding out what their questions are and then providing those answers in a structured form. Yeah, it's it's the listening and then creating some structure so that people can learn. And then, you know, sort of like, now let's all jump off together. Like there's a, you know, if you wanna teach people creativity, you have to give them some real specific tools you know, like you said, the scales, you know, you got to teach people that like, there's no way to be creative without that. And yeah. so as a teacher, if your goal is okay, as a teacher, I want to develop a, a teaching that's about teaching people really to be creative within your own heart, then you have to figure out, okay, how am I going to teach them the scales that get them to here? And then also, how am I sometimes going to say like, now just take all of that <laughs> and sort of put it aside and just have this moment where you just try, try and make a big mess. 
like uh, people don't like to make a mess. They they want it takes a little while to get them to to that. It's funny. I have a student who um, I've been working with a long time, and she, you know, her idea of how you would be good if you practice yoga is you would wake up every morning, you know, practice for an hour, and there would be a set sequence. And so I've had to kind of explain to her, like, when I sit down to practice yoga, I have no idea what I'm going to do that day. And I do, sometimes I practice for 10 minutes and I'm like, I'm good. And sometimes it's two hours. It really, and I'm totally comfortable with either way. And also I don't practice every day. And I'm sorry to shock America that I'm a yoga teacher and I don't practice every day, but I don't because I, some days I wake up and it's like, my life is going great <laughs> and I don't need it. And, you know, like it's, there's no difference between my life and my practice. And sometimes I go back to this art to get there. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's working with clients. Sometimes, you know, like it's just a different thing when you're a teacher. For me, I've been working really hard to develop my teaching business. And to me, that is if there's days where I sit down and I'm creating a lot of stuff for students and I'm not doing my own practice, I call that a win that day because that is where my practice is right now is to be a teacher. And that's what I'm trying to get people away from is this idea that being um, advanced means just doing. It means you've got to be a teacher. Being a teacher is where you become creative and skillful and you and that's the next step. I don't have any problem showing up in a room and saying, hey, we're going to be here a month. Uh, I'm going to teach every day. I have no curriculum planned. We'll get started tomorrow. And people are like, what? And I go, oh, yeah, no, nah, it'll, it'll be good. We'll, be, we'll do real well at the end of a month. You're going to be amazed at how much you learn. Other people freak out. They're like, what, 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 it doesn't have any structure. I don't understand. What are we doing? <laughs> and for me, I'm like, oh, trust me. We're, like, I can, we're going to work on legs and hips tomorrow. It's like, we're not going to run out of stuff. We're going to go six hours and you're going to be like, oh. But because you're experienced. When you first started teaching, I bet you didn't, I bet you walked in with your outline. You know, and, well, and, and I understood that. that people needed, yeah, and that's why I made the workbook. I understood that people needed just a basic routine, something to fall back on. You know, my, my sense and nuance in teaching has developed over time because I always understood that fundamentally I was teaching improvisation, and then improvisation is based on their instrument, and their instruments are their bodies, and their bodies are completely different. <laughs> right? It's not the same thing. French horn isn't a cornet. Isn't a trumpet. Um, there's a, there's a, an assist that Eric taught in his teacher training. And it basically only works because he's six foot five. <laughs> and on a man, you know, because I have breasts. So like, it's a problem for me to do this particular one because it's like a little overly intimate. And, uh, you know, and like I would try to do it with people. And this is like, I'm not six foot five. I can't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. This isn't possible. Like your body if you're working with people physically, like it's, there's other, um, not everybody's capable of doing every single thing, but I knew a woman who was, um, she's a volunteer firefighter and she had a disease where it was a genetic thing 
where she was almost a dwarf, like she was very, very, very small. But she was able to do things the other firefighters couldn't because she was a woman and because she was so small, like she could go into windows and she, when there were um, women who had gone through traumatic experiences, like she was like, I'm the person who can go in and like be in the bathroom with them. And, you know, like, because of who I am. And so whether you might think, oh, I'm not, I don't have the physicality to do things that I see other people do, but it's like, yeah, and they don't, they don't have the ability to do what you can do. I'm completely willing to press a button and record and just show what I do and do it a 9,000 times over the course of 20 years and then assemble that in some form to be able to show people the process. What I keep trying to explain to students is Picasso made a living, but what would have happened if Picasso could have set up a video camera and been like, Bob Ross. Oh, wouldn't that have been amazing? Happy, happy little cheese. <laughs> and he just kept making paintings every day. Because people would follow him. Like, in other words, you could give away the recording of it. What if painting. Picasso had an Instagram? <laughs> and that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly it. The thing about yoga is you can record stuff. The challenge with massage, for many massage therapists, is people are naked. And I'm like, but not in my work. Like, this is I keep trying to hammer the students. And I know they don't fully get it yet, but I think it's just going to have to get to the point where it cracks, where there are enough students making enough video content where my industry starts to go, what the hell is happening? What, what, what is all this goddamn mat-based clothes-on stuff? These people... They're not following the rules. <laughs> well, I have a question as we're talking about sort of this play between structure and improvisation is you know, your first product was the book and the ebook. And what gave you like, I, now, you know, when we were talking about the fact that you can go in, you can just teach without a lot of, structure because you the instruction the structure is kind of already there like you you always know what you go to you know like you have a sense of what you need to teach and how you teach that so you don't have to necessarily start with a, a structure but like when you first were thinking about doing this what were the fears that you had and how long did it take you to overcome those things and start to find a way to really reach people and I think initially it was like, okay, do I know enough to be able to teach this? And then, okay, this is work that was initially culturally Thai. And I'm an American who's never been to Thailand. But if I don't teach it, it's not really available. Or I've got to wait for other people to teach it, you know, to allow people to catch up or something. So I just said, okay, hold on. So core to what they would learn in Thailand is they're going to learn send lines. Can you include the send lines, but include the anatomy? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I, I can address it in a Western enough way that anatomy nerds will get it, but I can address it so that they could hop from my class into a traditional class and still have a frame of reference for what I was teaching. 
And then I went, okay, can you get professionally done photos? Can you work on your grammar, you know, deliver information? And I go, sure. And I think in the first workbook, I was timid. I was a little like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and teach. I, yeah, I'm going to teach you some time massage, you know, and I did it. But after I did it, I think what the real shift became was I made a workbook the workbook was a supplement to my classes. So it, the, the notion was you took the in-person class, you got the workbooks and the videos and whatever as a supplement to the in-person class. And what started to happen was, well, you can't teach online. That's what you hear in the culture. You can't teach online. You can't teach online. You can't teach online. And all of a sudden I realized, wait a second, people keep writing me because they're learning so much from the workbook and the videos and the practice of teaching shifted into more of a digital distribution mode where people were buying the materials and the physical class was a supplement to that. Yeah. And it sounds like somehow you got enough interest and somehow you got over your fears enough to put something out there that maybe it was overly structured, but it was what you needed to do to, to begin. And then, I, and I think it's that traction at the beginning that is so hard. Like, mm. when do you actually, I mean, I had a Facebook group and I was, really trying to reach people and you know it's been like week after week after week going out there giving out content without necessarily getting a lot back and i got to the point where it just like burned me out because that's very hard now it's like i'm waiting until i find the things that hit before i start to really generate right. things because it's like sitting there and spitting into the wind is not very fun you Free is a really nice barrier of entry, which is none. And what I did was after that workbook was made, we had a PDF. You could print copies of it. And we did. We printed copies. They were like 40 bucks a piece or something. And I was like, nobody's going to buy this. It's too expensive. But I was like, we have a PDF, which essentially in my thought, thinking at the time is like a digital thing. Could I make an email list and like just give this away for free? Because nobody knows what time massage is. That was the problem. So yeah, we, I hired people and we figured it out and we set up my email list. And then <clears throat> I went to every Facebook group known to man and went, Hey, here's a free workbook. Within like a month or six weeks, we had like 2000 emails and I went, Oh my God. Were we you actually promoting like literally just like sticking up a post in there? Like, here's my freebie. Cause I, is, was it just different times? Because now like most of the groups don't let you just drop a, well, it depends on the groups. And so here's the thing. When I'll go, ooh, man, do I get frustrated here? So why would they not allow you to post something for free in the group? From what I can see, because I'm in a lot of groups, is they're like, they're definitely concerned about spam. And I will say as somebody who ran a group where I wanted people to be able to do that, my group got a little spammy. So I did kind of understand like why they were doing it yep. because it's like, who wants to read something that's just very one-sided and just always a bunch of people, it's, you know, just a bunch of ads. 
I created massage entrepreneurs and people can give away stuff and sell stuff directly in massage entrepreneurs. People don't understand the rules. We get questions all the time. They're like, what is value? I'm like, if you give me a piece of education and you teach me something in the post, you can sell directly in the group. And they're like, well, I don't understand what's value. And I'm like, well, until you figure it out, don't post. My workbook is free. Like half the time there's a video that's five minutes long that shows you how to do something is teaching you for free. And underneath there's a link where they can go download the workbook or subscribe. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, there are massage groups that I regularly rant about because they'll say, well, it's self promotion. And I'm like, your group teaches the fucking worst business skills of anything on the internet. Yeah. Like self promotion is business, bro. There's, I, I'm currently banned from posting in one of these groups and all I did was I was sort of, I, I, I had written, like I, I had made a little video demonstrating what people were at. It was about Zoom. There's been a lot of yoga teachers trying to get online with Zoom. And so I had like a video where I just showed all this um, and it was opened up in my course. So I have certain the, on on my website gab.co there's a course on getting started using zoom there's one on getting started making helpful videos the one on zoom um, has been really popular lately and then all the yoga teachers are now trying to figure out all the ins and outs what microphone do i buy you know uh, how do i light this and that so somebody had a question i had an answer already written up or a video or something and it was unlocked in my course so I just like dropped the you know I was like here I have a thing written up just here it is and I'm like banned from posting in that group because instead of like copying and pasting the whole thing out and sticking it in there I provided the link <laughs> and I'm just like I don't know what to do about the fact that and I had somebody recently where I was like saying, hey, you know, we need some people are really looking for help. Like I'd be happy to come on and talk. And I got the feeling that she felt like I was intruding on her territory or something. And I was really close to getting banned from that group. And so it's like, I don't really like I'm trying to figure out how to promote make your own groups you know, to these groups because I it's like I'm giving lots of value. It's not like I'm some scummy person and you know, like, I feel like if I'm coming into your group and I'm repeatedly giving information, yep. every now and then I should be able to say like, hey, by the yep. way, I made a course about all this because everybody's asking questions. And what does it matter to you if I have information that you're not providing? Well, because your competition. Oh, listen, I had a group. I'm not lying. I, I took the video. And instead of posting it from my business page, because if it has a link to my business page in the group, they'll say that's self-promotion. So I went to their page, uploaded the video directly where I was working with a veteran online interactively. Right. And said, hey, this is an example of how I work with people online or whatever. And they basically denied the post and said, we don't have time to watch a 50 minute video. 50 minute videos aren't against the rules. You guys are just being assholes. <laughs> are you afraid that I'm gonna announce my website in the middle of a 50 minute video? Listen, the fact that you don't provide any education has nothing to do with me. 
<laughs> right. I'm going to continue doing this. And if you don't allow me to reach these people organically, I'm just going to wind up paying for Facebook ads anyway. Yeah. I'm kind of like, that's where I'm kind of really fed up with Facebook. And I've been really wanting to get people TikTok. off of it into my own system. TikTok. 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 Tell me about TikTok. Oh, man. It, it's So as I've been developing the social media marketing course, I find it really interesting because I've worked with you to help me break stuff down in little pieces. But there are other things in other areas, like when I'm teaching social media marketing, I feel like I've got so much background in it from having really fought the good fight on the platforms, trying to understand it. The reason I recommend TikTok is TikTok gives, in my experience, some of the most robust organic reach of any platform. I could take a video from the Time and Size Jam and just float it through, it's 30 seconds. It, in the next day, it would have 2,500 views. Really? Because there's so, still I thought the TikTok, there's like a limit on the length, right? It's like so sort of max like a, is a minute, but you can go shorter than that. Very short, very crisp, very clean. The app is very easy to use. Um, it's very sort of intuitive. You can watch other people's stuff. It is the, currently, it is the most creative social media period. There, there is What's the um, age limit on? Where Kind of where's uh, the age of the people? I don't, I don't know. They might have, I don't know if you're, uh, they're different. My impression was it was kind of like for teenagers or something. Like well, so all the platforms age up. And yeah, I definitely right. feel like a weird anomaly because I'm a 42 year old on TikTok. And occasionally there's a 16 year old where I'm like, we got we can't watch this anymore, Robert. She's dancing. This is not going to work. <laughs> You're 42. Get away from her. You know, the thing is, there are lots of people using TikTok and the platform is, is diversifying as it grows because right. people like me are coming on. I mean, what does it mean in 2020 to be releasing massage related content on TikTok? is a very different platform. The reason I recommend it is it gets a lot of organic reach and you can link it to your Instagram and YouTube. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that like, you know, you're talking about when you started being able to get organic reach on Facebook and now it's just locked it down. Yeah. And the problem is like, I do, I, I, I like, I like writing and I, you know, there's a lot of things I like about Facebook as far as just my own personality and how it works. Like, a lot of people told me I should be on Instagram, but I like, I really just don't understand why anyone's on Instagram because to me, it just looks like a lot of ads, almost like everybody's just, it's so one-sided, the conversation. So not an interaction. is that Facebook owns Instagram. And face, Instagram might as well be Facebook Lite for your phone. These platforms, I mean, I, do, I use these. I use these very, very consistently. Do I get much organic reach on them? I'm on YouTube and YouTube is owned by Google. How much organic reach do I get? I mean, I get some. TikTok is the platform that you can go viral. Like when I look at people's feeds, somebody will have 100,000 followers on TikTok. I'll go to their Instagram and they've got 2,000. Really interesting. Now, why do they have 100,000 followers? It's because TikTok's algorithm is showing that video to people and people are liking it. That right. doesn't happen on Instagram. It's just, it's at that stage where it's new and they're just yeah. trying to get people, you know, like, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to try it out. 
It's a, a very different platform. It's very creative. I produce very different content there because it's contextual to the platform. I continue to play with it. I don't have like a huge account, um, but you know, we'll see what happens over time. I tried for a while to figure out Twitter and I just got to the point where oh, I, like, I really see, I wanted, love Twitter. I love. really wanted to like love. get Twitter and I tried and I tried love. and I was just like, uh. Love. What if I told you you could get more organic reach on Twitter and you could connect with more people in your niche more rapidly than you could on Instagram? Well, I kind of got to the point where I was like, well, you know, I started to to think about my business in this way that and it didn't just start, like some of this is my training that, you know, when you look at your business and the most, as a small business owner, the most valuable thing that I have is time. And where I'm at in my business still is, you know, not only am I developing my teachings, but I'm also marketing, selling. And then of course I have to do all the, you know, the administrative work. And I, I don't have a staff to take care of those things. So when I look at, what do I actually get paid for is delivering my content, like actually coaching people, actually teaching yoga. That's what I get paid for. And I don't get paid to go on Twitter and tweet. And if it's not actually leading me to business, then I'm, okay. I'm not going to spend my time so at it. And you, now I'm kind of backing into where I know who I want to reach and I can okay. you know, who do you need to reach? strategy. But, you know, I spend a lot of time not, it's like I could spend my time picking up the phone. Like I'll, I'll give you some. Today, I was working on sales, and I looked at my list of all the people that I needed to call. I had a list of people that I emailed yesterday, total cold call emails, right? People I have no relationship with, and then I had a phone number that a woman had, was giving me a referral to, and she had talked to that woman about me. She had used my services, and I'm like, well you know, where should I put my time? Should I call this, this number? Or should I call one of these people I emailed? And I was like, I picked up the phone and called the number, because I have a connection to that person. And, you know, spending all this time tweeting and all that is, you know, I have, I think there's a stage of your business where you start to have that time and you start to know who you're reaching. But for me, where I'm at, it's like, I, I, you know, I can't, if I put all my time and effort into those kind of platforms, then, you know, I'm not getting paid for that. So you figured out a way to like get paid for it. Eh, networking. Why, why are you doing the podcast? Yeah, because I'm now back. So I did a bunch of these things when, for a while and I stopped. Now I'm back because I know who I'm reaching and I know how to talk to them and I know okay. what to say to reach them. Networking. Yeah, networking. More content. So who content. are the people you need to network and, with? But, but I, I know who I am and what I have to say. There was a period of time where the reason I was coming on these things was to figure out who I was and what I had to say. And then once I figured it out, I had to stop and start selling directly. Now that I've been able to successfully do that, now I'm here to find the people that I'm meant to help. And I, you know, I, I know that some of the people are listening to you. 
networking. The reason you came on the podcast is for your own benefit, not mine. You didn't look at my business and say, well, I could really help Robert's business. <laughs> you said, well, if I go on his podcast, he's going to put it through his email list and people are going to find me and it's going to be a link and it puts more exposure and he's going to post in the massage groups. The same thing happens on Twitter. Who are the people you're trying to interact with and network with? Right. Who yeah, are- but you have to sort of really be thoughtful about it because... Okay. You know, like, you know, I ran Eric's, Eric Shipman's discussion board for many, many years. And I mean, yeah. I was on there every day and I was yeah. his, you know, I was the webmaster. I was the moderator of the discussion board. I had a lot more status than a lot of other people. And out of that, I think I got one workshop where somebody, from, you know, asked me to do that. All very small time. group, very small niche. Well, beyond that, but no, it wasn't small. We had hundreds of posts every day. We have had 4 million hits on- How many people were on it? A lot of people were on it. It's really- 100,000? Yeah, a lot. Yes, a lot. And, but the thing was that I wasn't telling people what I did and what I had to sell and who I was. And so nobody knew that I wanted to teach workshops. Yeah. Because I wasn't saying that all the time. Like, hey, I teach workshops and he's- Who's a yoga teacher or who do you want to network with that you haven't had a chance to network with? For me? Yeah. There's, um, there's several yoga teachers who are speaking specifically to business. Mm -hmm. Um, Amy McDonald is one of them. Is she on Twitter? I don't know. So well, here's what I do is I go in and I rub elbows with those people and I comment on their posts and I chat with them and I talk with them and I develop associations and I go, Hey, you want to be on a podcast? And if they've seen me and I've given value and I've connected with them in various ways, maybe I've promoted their stuff, which I have. There are people I've met online. I've never dealt with them in person who I've connected with and like did a YouTube review of Carlos Gill's book. Um, I asked Carlos on Twitter if he wanted to be on the podcast and didn't respond, but he's inordinately busy. It might be a year from now that I continue to interact with him and eventually comes on the podcast. But that that fundamentally will come through Twitter. But you know what you have that I don't have is like this fully baked website that has, you know, here's my teachings and this is, you know, like I'm still sort of building that out. It helps, but yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're clear on who you are and what you have to sell and it's more out there. Twitter. <laughs> I tried, I tried, I tried with Twitter. <laughs> so it's also, it, it's a different platform. It depends on like how you use it and you have to kind of, the, Twitter is very different than YouTube. It's very different than Facebook. The, the way you interact with people, I'll give you like a quick example. I was on Twitter. I follow Ice-T. Love Ice-T. Old school rap, body count, you know, love Ice-T since I was a kid. So I found out Ice-T was on Twitter. I follow Ice-T and Ice-T posted this thing and he just laid back with glasses, just like the coolest guy on earth. And it says, then the thing underneath said something like, this is what I do with my haters are hating on me or something. Like he looks like he's in a private jet, right? <laughs> I, I took that and screenshotted it and clipped it. And then I posted it on my Instagram. And I said, this is who I go to for business and inspiration <laughs> advice. And I hashtagged guru and I hashtagged OG. And then I tagged Ice-T and I realized, oh, I don't follow him on Instagram. So I followed him on Instagram, tagged him in the post, 
10 minutes later, Ice-T liked my post on Instagram. <laughs> Ice-T, it's me, right? And the thing is, what it is, is I'm promoting him. Right. He gets more traction on that platform because I'm talking about him and promoting him as somebody I look up to. And that's the sort of thing, it's, it's a value proposition about, you know, I can ask someone, and I'm trying to think of the yoga teacher's name. Uh, I can see his face, Jason Crandall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason Crandall. I took a class with him here in Austin. He kicked my ass. And then uh, there's a lot of stuff that he says that closely resonates with my dealings between like tradition and innovation in America, particularly as a Western yoga teacher. And then I've, I've seen posts and Instagram and some of this and that. And like, I've kind of talked with him and said, Hey, would you like to be on my podcast? And I haven't gotten a response yet, but I continue to try to give those people value, even if it's occasionally just sharing their stuff through my feed to promote it to other people. What happens is if you blip on their radar, they start to look at you as helpful and beneficial, the more likely to want to do some sort of business with you. I really think that's fundamentally how it works. Again, you're not on my podcast to help me. You're on your pod, my podcast to help you. And that's the thing. If I can give people a portal where they can get some assistance and get part of their dreams, my business becomes much more easy to deal with. Yeah, I'm still like, I'm, I'm going to look at all your social media stuff because after sort of falling on my face with a bunch of this stuff, now I'm ready to wade back in, but I, I feel like I have a much clearer idea of why I'm there. And um, I think we're kind of circling back around to what we're saying, which is that a lot of success is a lot of failure. <laughs> and a lot of learning what doesn't work and continuing to go through it. And the only way that you learn is by that struggle of learning. When you get to the point where you're a teacher, where you are a leader, then the struggle becomes, how do I create a business around this? The struggle becomes, how do I reach people? How do I message people? And, and then you help the other people along the way. They're trying to figure out where you've gotten to. Like, I, so, you know, part of the reason I'm here, you know, it's not just to for my own business, but also to learn from you because you've been doing this now, being online for 10 years, and I really want to sort of get inside your brain. <laughs> and one of the ways to do that is to, you know, like, just kind of go like, oh, okay, like, he thinks about this all differently. You have to be around somebody who thinks differently yeah. to change your thinking. And obviously, something about how I was thinking about it was holding me back, but I still want to learn it. So that um, pain of not being satisfied with it is making me yeah. going to go, how do I get there? So I'm not as good about in-person networking. <clears throat> I'm not a Mad Men era marketer, sales guy, business guy. So I went to a local meetup. Uh, I forget the name, Austin local, some whatever. So it's just some, some meetup for business people. And I go and this guy deals with stocks and this guy flips houses and this guy has a job in the tech industry and like real upstanding like business people like all over the map. And after 15 minutes, a crowd of people forms around me and they're asking questions about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, we're going to 
of my garage, bro. And they're like, yeah, dude, like, you know, all this stuff. Oh my God. I didn't know anything about, you know, this specifically. And it's like, again, it's a value proposition. I always do this with small business people. If let's say they're in a completely disparate industry, they're a baker. I go, Hey, what are you having problems with in your business? Is there anything I can help you with? And they're like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a massage therapist and educator, but I have a very strong online presence with like social media marketing, developing online curriculum, something like that. And then if I can't be helpful to them, they're not really going to remember me that much. Yeah. But if I said like, I'm making a social media marketing class, I started it. And of course it's for massage therapists. And I went, wait a second, hold on, Robert, you got to change your verbiage. Social media marketing, you could sell this to anybody. And then I grab this baker and go, listen, if you're interested in social media marketing, I've got an entire class I can give to you for free. Whoa, really? I go, yeah, listen, let me get your um, contact information. I'm going to go home and um, you have to create an account, but I can enroll you in class for free. It helps him. It was value to him. It was benefit to him. And then I go, listen, after you deal with the sections that you're interested in in the course, if you have any additional questions, just let me know. Also, if you want me to promote you, why don't you come on my podcast? We can talk about some of your business stuff. And they're just like, <laughs> because I gave them a little plan and a path and some value that led, led to a stronger connection. What I think has happened is like a lot of yoga teachers want to teach the class in person because they want to connect with students very deeply. And I do rec- recommend that. But can you also connect with them online? Because this is all this is all it is, it's just digital connection. This is why I make the YouTube videos, and this is why I screenshotted iced tea. So <laughs> to connect with people. And yeah. the thing is, when I give them value of some sort, what happens is more people want to follow you, hang out with you because they're getting something out of that interaction. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, any uh, closing thoughts? Oh, it's fun. You know, usually when we work together, we're so structured and it was fun to just come on and spitball and just, yeah, you know, be friends and not really be working on a project together. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I, uh, I've been working so hard without a break for a long time. And I've got to this moment in my life where finally it's just like, you know what, I think I'm just gonna like soften just for a little bit. Now, thank you for helping me to to just kind of have that relaxed day where we just also talked about New Orleans and music. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an interesting spot. I didn't really realize that. I mean, I know you, but there's still, you know, tons of layers. Like, I didn't Yeah, really one day let's do a podcast about Mardi Gras. Oh, man. <laughs> I get kind of sad when I start talking about New Orleans at home. Like, it's hard to explain to people who've never been there. It's very hard to explain New Orleans to people who haven't been there. Um, I used to have, um, uh, when I worked with video production, the person who was in charge of our um, college, he was like our mentor. He had owned Channel 6 in New Orleans. And he said, said, uh, once you drink the water of the Mississippi, like, you always have to come back and it's true as there's there's no way to explain to people the like sometimes i'll talk with people about new orleans and they almost want to throw up or something they're just like it sounds so disgusting it's like 
Oh yeah, and it's totally beautiful. No, <laughs> and it's revolting and horrible. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> All to at oh Lord, that's a whole podcast. <laughs> like it's hard to explain. It, yeah. it's, I, I'm as, I moved after Katrina, so I'm just as angry as well, I am. I have an, a, a recommendation for you if you haven't followed it. The American Roots podcast mm -hmm. is incredible. It's out of Tulane and you would love it. You would oh, love, nice. love, love it. Yeah. Interesting. I have to check it out. R-O-U-T-E-S, American Roots. Yeah, I have to yeah. check it out. Yeah, you just so, go to their website. Anyway, okay, that's yeah. the end. I've got some things I've got to get off to. Okay, but. just tell them where they can find you one last yeah, time. Yeah, find me at gabb.co. You can email me at Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, one Z, two Ns, at gabb.co. On Facebook, I'm Suzanne Doolin Yoga. My Facebook page is Get a Bigger Boat. I'm on all the other platforms, but I'm not really there. <laughs> so just do that. And uh, yeah, and I love there is for people who are looking for, you know, what can you, what can I help you with? There's two free downloads that you can get. So if you go to gabb.co, there's two courses there, one on getting started making helpful videos and the other on getting started using Zoom to teach yoga. And there's a free checklist in those. So you just open them up, hit the preview and you can download those. And it's just a one page little checklist, like here's how to do it. I think for the massage therapists who are listening to you, the video one, the one in getting started making helpful videos, it gives a five-step system for how you make a video. So, and I've had a lot of people be able to go and, you know, make a really nice quality video just using their phone or their laptop with that. So it's out there, try it out. And I love to help people with video. That's really uh, a passion of mine. And it's been fun to return back to it more and more in my professional life. Yeah. Thank so, you. Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for I having really me on. Appreciate it. And I will talk to you and all of our followers again very, very soon. Bye, Robert. And be sure to tag me so I know when it goes up. I will. Okay. Bye. Bye.